Okay, it's a big, big thrill to welcome champion trainer Adam Durant to the 1 1. Adam, welcome, my friend. Uh, good morning. Terry Layton, BJ Ryan, uh, mate, you're on the cusp of another WA Metropolitan Trainers Premiership. I think you're 14 in front, uh, heading into the last week of the season. If you, uh, as you should do, uh, pencil another premiership in, what, what will this what will this one be for you in the record books? Um, to be honest, I don't know if it's nine or ten. Um, I'd actually have to look that up. But you um, ran out of fingers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I haven't had any chopped off yet. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think look, it's, it's either nine or ten. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. So it's uh, you know, racing's like everything sort of blends into itself nowadays. So. You just uh, you just keep your head down and uh, keep uh, keep doing your best. So after uh, the first couple, you just sort of you try and keep your neck in front, I suppose, and you stop uh, stop counting them. What is it? What what, are, what honestly? What do premierships mean to to you, Adam? Oh, look, it sounds. I guess it sounds a bit strange, but after I guess after a couple of them, yeah, you know, the first couple are probably the most rewarding because it's something you, I guess, you always aspire to when you're young, and you know that's that's the pinnacle probably of, of your profession, I guess, in your home state is to win the Metropolitan Trainers Premiership. So after uh, after the first few, I guess you, you just, um, I guess racing is, as I say, you get up every morning and it's uh, a little, it's got a little bit of Groundhog Day to it. So it probably becomes less about the premierships and, and more about, you know, just keeping your business in a good place and, um, and making sure uh, everything's running smoothly and hopefully you can, you know, keep your owners happy and, and the winners rolling through, but you know, obviously, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. You'd be lying if you didn't say that, especially once you've been there, um, that you're always sort of, uh, you know, you're counting your numbers. And I guess that's with everything. Your stats are everything. Winners are everything. And if you're not winning races, well, you're not, uh, you're not in the, you're not in the game, are you? So, speaking of winners, just on Racing Australia at the moment, and you've had 124 winners uh, statewide for the season. 64 in town, you're currently 14 clear of uh, Grant and Alana Williams. You mentioned something about the health of, of your business. For me, as, a, as an onlooker, it looks like you've got, correct me if I'm wrong, as many horses as you ever had. Has that been a, a conscious thing to really, I know that you've pivoted recently into buying more yearlings and younger horses and, and being more active at the yearling sales. Has that been a strategy on your behalf or is that just the way that, that race, the, the direction that racing is headed and you've just adapted with that? Yeah, look, I think so. Um, you know, with, with everything in, in any business, as you know, you, you've got to continue to keep reinventing yourself. Um, especially racing, everything's uh, everything's changing, and uh, you've got to you've got to be able to give out that sort of product to you know to your owners and and to the more so even so now the public. So you become a bit of a brand. So you know you've got to reinvest with the with the young horses, and and in some regards it is a numbers game because you're you're sort of uh, you know what you know what the industry's like. You boys have owned horses, um, and you've been around racing all your life, so. You know what it's like to uh, you buy ten horses, you you find a winner or two in amongst them. So it's all about just uh, you know eliminating the variables when you're buying them. But no one can, uh, I don't think anyone could buy ten horses and say they had ten ten top line horses. And at the end of the day, there's a big difference between buying horses that are uh, that win one race um, and cost you a hundred to win it, and and actually being financially viable. So it's a it's a tricky balance to to give owners. Some owners are in it for for the fun, and they couldn't uh, they couldn't care less whether they break even or 
or they lose. Um, it's about the experience. Um, and I guess that's more so now with, uh, with syndicates. You get um, a lot of people in it. They're, they're not investing huge amounts and the upkeep's not huge for them. So it's more about the experience, which has been a learning curve for me because I'm not a huge, you know, people's person. I'd rather, I've got my friends, I've got my hobbies and basically I like to keep, uh, keep to myself in that regard. So you've got to, in some ways, entertain owners and, you know, give them, give them that experience that they deserve for putting in that, uh, that money and, and Duran's been fantastic in that regard. Um, and that's sort of given us a, a little bit of a, an opening to buy, buy horses, you know, buy yearlings at the sales and, and invest in that regard. But it, it is a big, uh, it's a big, uh, big investment and a big risk for any stable. Um, I'm in a annual position that we've got good turnover and, and we do make a good living out of it. But it's, uh, it's not easy going to the sales and putting your hand up and putting yourself in a hole for a million dollars knowing that you've got to then market those horses and and sort of sell them. Um, but in saying that too, if you want to continue on and uh, and be in the uh, be in the top echelon, you've you've got to invest. You can't just uh, you can't just sit at home and uh, and uh, and sit on your hands and expect horses to come to you. You've got to uh, go out and be proactive about it. Looking at the trial fields re- recently, <clears throat> it just looks like you've got <laughs> three or four horses in every heat, especially down in Lark Hill. Um, how many horses do you have on your books at the moment, Adam? Um, look, I couldn't tell you what I've got on my books. Yeah. Um, we keep uh, close to a hundred horses. That's including Jason and Jordan's got a little team as well. Um, Jason keeps 10 or 12. Jordan, um, he's, he's got his three or four now. Um, and also we have, uh, we have a fair bit to do with Robbie Gilberti's broom team. So that adds a whole, whole new dimension to it as well. When you've got those horses at the stables getting ready, but, you know, we keep around the the hundred in work, um, so you know it keeps it keeps obviously the numbers flowing. But this year, I think we've got, I think we counted fifty eight two year olds. Yeah, I was um, going to say there's coming. lots of horses we haven't seen at the races yet. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. They're they're all uh, there's a big number of two year olds this year. I said I think there was fifty eight there um, from last season, and and we have actually had a couple more come on in the last couple of months from from outside owners, which is always nice because they are. Hard to find those single uh, single owners or syndicates that come to you now. It's, they're usually sold, done and dusted, and uh, and people aren't looking for trainers um, in the in the sort of environment we're in now. So um, we got good numbers, um, but we got a good team as well. So I think um, that uh, doesn't make a lot of difference to me whether I've got fifty or a hundred in work um, because of your staff numbers. Yeah, I find that the more you have in work and the bigger numbers, probably the the easier it is in some sense because you you've got your staff numbers there to, to take the pressure off if you if you want to have a break or you know we've got I've got myself Jason and Jordan which we're obviously all capable of, of running the system the way it's uh, the way it's supposedly to be run and it gives us all an opportunity to have that uh, have that break whereas if you had a small team you probably don't have the same sort of you know higher higher ranking staff. Sorry, we lost you there, Adam. A few, uh, a few technical difficulties. Um, I want to take you back uh, to, to 2012, to, to nine years ago. Um, the champagne corks were popping. Uh, we all know about Mr. Moe's first up victory in the railway stakes at the mile. And I, 
Look, I want to ask you a little bit about that, but I'm I'm more interested in some of the folklore and some of the stories going around about uh, some of the betting moves leading into that race. Now, um, as as you probably know, I don't mind a little bit of a, a little bit of a Rex hunt myself and. Um, at the time, I remember we uh, when you announced that you were going there first up, or it was announced it was uh, heading that way first up, there were some 150s available and a few of the lads hopped into the 150s. There's a bit of a famous story floating about you might have got a slightly better price and uh, had a reasonable little result there. I don't know how much you're willing to divulge, but uh, I'd love to, uh, to hear some of it from your point of view. Yeah, look, we got a good result out of the, <laughs> out of the, the horse winning. But as you know, the old... Uh, pre-post betting they don't bet you that much no so i think the stories of uh the stories have stretched a bit over the years and i'll probably let them run too so <laughs> um but you know they get pretty frightened pretty quick the corporates when they're uh when they're running at that price but we did uh we did get a little bit clever about it and we uh yeah we spread it out and uh, and got a bit overseas on and, and around town and that but we got enough i um i uh i was able to uh put a reasonable uh deposit on a pretty nice house and uh I got a got a boat out of it, so it was a, I'll be forever grateful to Mister Moe and and what he uh, what he did. But we pro- to be honest, we probably got more out of him at the shorter prices because they actually let you have something on. Well, he still uh, jumped thirty bucks, didn't he? That that's right, yeah. exactly. Soon as you uh, soon as you start putting anything on at two hundred to one, yeah, hundred fifty to one, they soon uh, they soon shut you off. But that was the exciting story. You get ten thousand on at two hundred fifty to one. Um, well, that just gives everyone a bit of a uh, bit of a laugh, but we all know the reality of that. It's not uh, it's not true, but we did get a bit on. Um, was that the top yeah. price, two fifty? I think it was around two hundred. Yeah, I yeah. got a good friend in in Singapore and Malaysia, and they had a they had a bit of a price going over there as well. I think you might they might have got a fair bit a, a decent price over there. But again, when it's uh, when it's pre post, um, you don't get much on. And I think we our better results was obviously. Uh, Leading up within uh, the week of the race, um, I think he was still sort of 60, 70 to one, and then yeah. you know started about thirty to one, where you can actually get something on. So, but look, you, you know, the, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. 100%. Um, and it was certainly, uh, certainly my best, uh, my best day on the punt. That's for sure. I'd uh, well, I'd, I'd hope well, so. And, if, and if... at the races, for that matter, on the with on the prize money front. Yeah, exactly right. And um, would that be probably considered your best training performance as well? I mean, winning any race first up at a mile, it's probably one of your specialties actually with a lot of your team. You, you've got quite a knack of um, of getting those middle distance horses to uh, to sprint really well fresh and perform really, uh, really well fresh. But uh, it's a different story. Mr. Moe was always a nice horse, but he was probably, in my mind at least, he was for probably a question mark at a railway stakes type level. Not only have you got him to win the railway stakes, you've got him to do it first up. Um, that's probably a feat, uh, which I'd gather would be in your top couple uh, as far as your training efforts go. Yeah, look, I've always said your, your top training feats are never the good ones, the group one, the horses and the top liners, because generally they uh, they can train themselves a little bit and they, uh, they make... Uh, they make you look good, really. Um, it's usually uh, a couple of my uh, ten-start maidens that I've got over the line. I sort of <laughs> consider a better training feat than than winning those big ones. But they're certainly a more exciting day. But they take uh, they take a lot more uh, take a lot more skill, I think, than the the real uh, the real good horses. But I think you're spot on there. I, I if I look back now, he, he probably wasn't in that bracket of you thinking a Group One horse at the time. I think he won the Strickland and and maybe the Hyperion, mm. those sort of lead-up races. So he's a more than capable, but 
probably now when you look back, then he went to Melbourne and, and you know, probably was unlucky, should have won a CFR and, and probably even should have just about won an Australia Cup. He got a long way back in the run and, and hit the line. It probably um, wasn't probably the strongest year that year um, in Melbourne, but it probably underlined the fact that he was uh, better than just a, a handicapper, you know. So just take – it is – well, not nine nine years ago now. Like, I just I'm just baffled by this. How did you know he could win, and when did you know he could win? Like, obviously you've oh. you know you started betting betting the horse at, at, at a long can. at a long price, but it's just, it's you that's might, when you try a little bit harder. I reckon. Yeah, once, once you've snaffled a couple of the two hundreds, you go right. Oh, let's let's but, really but, but, make sure. But when did it crystallise that this was this was a good idea? Like, and you know what, this can actually this horse can actually win this race. It's it's incredible stuff. Um, Oh, look, he was, he was pretty good to us leading up. But he was pretty good all his career. You know, I, I think he got beat at Narragin in a maiden. And then from then on, he was a pretty pretty good pretty good Saturday horse. He was probably – and then you sort of go, well, he was a better Saturday horse because he, he put a string together. Mm-hmm. Um, and those sort of horses, you, you always – you know, I was probably betting a lot bigger back then. And I'd probably, you know, had a, had a fair bit of, uh, you know, results out of the horse. So when you've got a bank already, I suppose uh, – I was a bit younger and uh, and cockier back then, and um, Daniel Stake was riding a fair bit for me as well. And look, Daniel, uh, obviously Daniel's um, gone uh, gone off the radar a little bit now, but he, he's a very underrated rider, Daniel, and, and a very good horseman, and he was an extremely good judge. Um, and I probably wouldn't have had a better run as when he was riding for us on the pun. He was very very good at at labelling them and telling us when uh, when they were ready. Um, so you know, I guess uh, he was confident and he rode him. You know. Previously, I don't think he sat on the horse, but he rode him in the trials. And leading up to it, he was uh, doing all the work on him. And I think uh, I think he knew that he was, uh, you know, pretty well on song. Uh, unfortunately, Hawley couldn't make the weight, so he didn't. Uh, he probably uh, he was too busy drinking beers and eating steak, <laughs> and probably probably wishes looking back now that uh, he's actually wasted and, and ridden the horse, I guess. But no, look, Daniel was probably part of it. Well, he was a massive part of it, to be honest. I've got to give a lot of credit to him. Um, not only that, but the ride on the day was yeah, an absolute feat. So, yeah. um, but he, you know, Daniel used to give us a fair bit of confidence with our horses, and um, and that certainly wasn't uh, wasn't one that um, that he that he missed labelling. He he knew that um, the horse had ability, and and obviously won those stakes races leading up to it. But um, his training, um, a horse that could get a trip and had had a bit of sprint in his legs, and and again, no disrespect, probably when you look back, it wasn't one of the strongest railways we've ever had. Um, so he probably fitted uh, fitted the category very nicely in the end. Yeah, Lucky Gray ran second that year, and uh, well, you went on to prove it was no real fluke uh, a fortnight later when you uh, when you ran second to, to Lucky Gray in the in the Kingston Tam, which has obviously run over um, over weight for age conditions. Uh, would you say, Mister Moay, in your uh, long and illustrious career, is your is your favourite horse, or do you have a horse that's uh, that's really dear to your heart um, besides Mister Moay? Oh, look. Yeah, look, he's obviously right up there. But you have so many come through. Probably my number one was Great Destiny. He was my basically my first horse that I owned. Um, I bought him at the sales, and he probably kick-started a fair bit of my training for Bob. Um, uh, so, look, he, he was one of those horses that I probably I paid 30 for him at one of those winter sales, and I got home, and I didn't have five grand to pay for him, um, let alone 30. So, you know, it was a bit of a concern. And then he first start, we took him to Northam, and, he got beaten a 1,600-metre 1600 maiden six-horse field. 
and I sort of sat there and was scratching my head thinking, well, we've got a long way to go before we uh, we get this money back. Um, but, he look, he ended up winning, you know, two Albany Cups, um, Broom Cup, and, look, he, he gave us a really – a hell of a lot of fun for, for me and a couple of friends that, um, yeah, I, I have to say he was, he's probably on top. But, you know, obviously your ones that are, that end up your top liners, they uh, they get there for that that reason because uh, they're top liners. But um, sentiment-wise, he's certainly uh, he's very, uh, very close to my heart, Great Destiny. So, so you mentioned Great Destiny was part of the pathway that led you to training for this recent white, for Petty's Investments. What's it like training for Bob and Sandra? And what's the... I don't know, like I think it always intrigues us as to how the horses get, get divided up. Is there a set set policy as to when horses, you know, ent- uh, when the Cerise and White horses come to Adam Durant? You'd struggle to get a word in with uh, Bob, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, like, funny <laughs> enough, I, I get on very well with Bob. I think he's a bit misunderstood a lot of the time. We had our, you know, we had our original, I trained for him. I actually trained all his horses That's at right. one stage, yep. if you remember yep. back. And, um, and at the time, I was probably a bit young and, cocky and and a bit of a smart ass and has that, I didn't has that changed <laughs> no yeah probably not a lot um toned it down a bit but no it's uh it's still still in your personality you can't uh you can't bash that out of someone it's uh it's there but yeah I, at the time it was it was a it was a bit of a change over time whereas i probably i wasn't really sure what was coming and going bob was a little bit probably different back then he he didn't give you much idea of what you were going to have and then horses had come and I only had a, quite a small stable then. We didn't have a lot of room and I was trying to accommodate new owners and, and it just probably at the time um, I wasn't enjoying it as much as I should have. And, you know, I, I, to Bob's credit, I, I had a conversation with him and said I probably, you know, you could, you could feel things weren't, weren't 100% and before it turned, turned bad, I, we sort of went our separate ways. But um, there was always, you know, how can you not have a... Um, uh, you know, respect for someone that's done what he did at the time. And I think as time went past, um, he probably found a bit more respect for me because I was about able to walk away from training for him and, and start winning premierships, which it's probably not that easy to do. And I wouldn't recommend it either um, because you've got to work a hell of a lot harder to find those horses. The ones that uh, Bob dishes up and Sandra, they're Ferraris. And basically, um, you know, they're pretty easy to train in comparison to having to go out, buy your own horses and, and invest your own money when horses like he had was, you know, walking into the stable. Um, so I think the second time around, I think we'd had our little bubble and we sort of <laughs> knew where both each other stood. And we basically, we've built actually a very good friendship, me and Bob, and I get a lot of advice from him. And I think uh, in the long run, I think he certainly made me a better trainer and probably uh, I, I speak to him about, um, you know, a lot of things advice-wise. And, you know, I think people people take him the wrong way because he's quite um you probably he's, he's quite eccentric bob as far as um he's, he's his own person and and he's a little bit of the he's an introvert in some regards i guess so um i guess some people take that as a bit arrogant i guess or or i guess rude but if you sit down and actually have a conversation um he, he's a very good person to talk to and i actually enjoy having a having a coffee with him in a conversation because you certainly uh you work, walk away from it i think uh bit more intelligent than the way you started that's for sure so adam just take us back do many people remember that you were actually an apprentice jockey back in the day i hope not <laughs> um, <laughs> tell, terry, tell terry about your riding career 
Yeah, no, it didn't. Um, it didn't last all that long. I was a, I was a good track work rider. I've made a very good uh, trainer. If you want to compare me to a jockey, I, I actually couldn't. Um, it all went too quick for me. I, I was a fantastic work rider, and coming through the apprentice ranks, I you know I did everything right, and trials were sort of looking promising and all that. And I guess I was only fifteen, sixteen, so you're only a kid still, and um, you know I'd probably only had schooling from mum and dad as far as training and riding. So I guess I was in a little bit one dimension in that regard, not not being out in the real world or a big stable. But, you know, I, I knew pretty early on, I thought, I'm in trouble here. I, I can't fucking work this game out. Well, beg your pardon, I'll beep that one out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't work the game out. Everything went too quick for me. I didn't have that. I just didn't have that instinct that I knew, you know, when to go and when to woe. And, you know, I think that's the key to the good riders. Toward, look, towards the end of my career, I rode 50 winners in about a year and a half. And towards the end of my career, when I started to get a bit heavy, I think I probably, I started to pick things up a little bit better. But yeah, things things just went too fast for me and I, I really couldn't read the play out there. And, you know, the gaps, gaps went a lot quicker than uh, than my brain went to uh, to take them. So, you know, not everyone cut out to be certain things and, and I basically couldn't read the play when I was riding. So, Luckily for me, um, I've found my niche now, and I seem to—I've uh, got the right instincts for training, but it certainly uh, for riding, it wasn't my uh, wasn't my thing. So you mentioned your father, Jeff. When I was uh, when I was growing up, um, hanging around the Ascot and Belmont racecourses, he had a stayer. I just from memory just seemed to go around week in week out. Had the uh, green and gold stripes with the green sleeves. A horse called My Mate Jack. It felt like it was the only horse he had in his, his stable at the time, which I'm sure wasn't true. But um, he was a good money spinner stayer, um, and he and he, that was the that was where I first saw the name Jeff Durant. Um, uh, as a, as a young guy, and then then he uh, he continued to train, and and then obviously you uh, you sort of I guess you uh, you started training and following in your father's footsteps after you got too heavy to ride. Yeah, that's right. Well, I actually won a couple of races on my mate Jack, so he must have been a bloody good horse. <laughs> he uh, he was a bit of a York specialist, and yeah. I actually won one two lead up races on him uh, leading up to the York Cup and. Uh, and then I got the drag, and they put Paul King on. So you can you, you can understand my ability level when your own mum and dad are giving you the drag. So, um, but the horse, the, the horse dead heated on the day. And when I look back, I'm pretty happy that uh, I'm pretty happy they give me the drag because I, I doubt very much I would have won on the horse. And uh, and I think at the time we were probably uh, we were eat, eating the wallpaper. So it's a better it's a better result long term for that to that to have happened. But mate, you would have you would have lifted it for sure, mate. <laughs> Oh no, I probably would have fell off it, not lifted it. But um, look, the reality is, mum, mum and dad did a did a great job with a small team that they had, and and they were self taught really. So they had you know a couple of mentors along the way that helped them out. But look, they were you know they were self taught, so it's very difficult to to go to that you know more elite level when you're you're still sort of trying to to find your feet and and work it out. Whereas I was lucky enough to be born into it and. And sort of followed along the way, so I think you get a much much more of a head start when it's uh, when it's just your natural instinct and it's in your blood rather than when you're uh, you know in your 40s and 50s taking up a new uh, taking up as it started a hobby and then turning it into a, a full time uh, career. You know, it was uh, it was pretty tough for them and it was tough for us when we were kids, but we loved it. Um, we didn't have much money, if any, um, but it was uh, I can't ever remember being uh, being sad or disappointed or. Or ever going hungry, but it's um, it's certainly uh, it's 
it was an interesting concept when you look back on it, what they were thinking. So you, you you transitioned into training almost sort of almost immediately after your writing career came to an end, and then you slowly but surely uh, cut your teeth, learnt the ropes, um, got yourself established, and you were you, you know you you won Group One with Mister Moe and Perth Cups and riding high, and then you opted to take a, a gap year. Um, or take a, a break from from training, and you, your dad and Jason Miller formed a training partnership and kept the business ticking over. What was the motivation behind the gap year? And uh, I guess what did you get up to in your time away from the game? Yeah, look, I, there's been some pretty good stories I've heard about it. It's been uh, I could I could write a book on some of the stories that I've heard about why I went away and, and the reasoning. But look, the reality is, um, I've been doing it since I was about ten or twelve years old, working in the stables with mum and dad and, you know, before school, get up out of bed early before school. I'd be riding work, you know, from the time I was probably in year seven and eight, um, which was near on the end of my schooling career, I might add, so it wasn't that much into school. But it was, you know, you were riding work before school and basically it's part of your life from the time you're, you know, 10 or 12 years old. And it was just getting to the point where I was getting a bit stale on it all. Um, I've obviously got other hobbies and, you know, I love my fishing and diving and, and I do like travelling and, you know, seeing other parts of the world. I've never just been horses are, you know, well, I have for a long time horses were just our life and basically you never went away on holidays and things like that. But having different friends outside the industry and, and things like that, you sort of get a bit of an idea when you, you know, you catch up with them and go away that there is more to racing than just, you know, just horses and the day-to-day grind. Um, and I was just getting to a point where I was just getting stale. I could feel myself stale on it all. Um, the, the, tra- the stable was going really good and, you know, it wasn't as if I was deserting a sinking ship or anything. I knew Jason had more than the, the capabilities to, to look after the place and, and I didn't go away far. I was always only a phone call away and I, I spent a lot of the time that I was, you know, that 12 months, you know, at the stables and, and still being actively involved. So, I didn't just drop everything and uh, and walk away, but I just felt like it was time to not get those day to day phone calls and just need to be, you know, at someone's at someone's uh, beck and call all the time because even though it's my job and I choose it and I love what I do, it just seemed like you're always a prisoner to your mobile phone and and just the the day to day, you know, running of a business that I seemed I felt like I'd been doing it for too long and just needed a, a bit of a freshener. So the uh, the stories that you uh, travelled around Australia to just to um, find a few more bowler accounts and burner accounts for your next big punch, them they're not true. Or? Yeah, no, I, I think I was locked up over there for a while. I think I was, I was in jail, and you know there was all, there was all sorts of stories. But as I said, the reality, I, I guess my close mates and uh, and people that are important to me know the uh, know the truth um, because it was it was pretty uh, pretty open, and and I was in I was in Broome and Darwin and. You know, on the on, I didn't end up getting any further than Darwin on my travels, but um, I certainly had a good time. And uh, and I have to say, I love the West Coast, and and I love I love the coast in general because it's you know it's, it's something it's my outlet where I can you know fish and dive, and I love that side of things. And I've got a really a lot of really close mates um, that live in Exmouth and Carnarvon, and and up to up to Broome. I spent I spent half the time riding work in Broome as well for, for Rob Gilberti. When I was up there, I'd still get up and help him out a bit. Um, so I wasn't too far away from racing. But one thing I did know, I wasn't long into the trip. when I I think I did have 
thoughts of maybe not uh, not wanting to do it on as big a scale for a while there, but I realised pretty quickly how lucky I was and, and exactly, uh, you know, that I wanted to continue on doing what I'm doing for the long term, that's for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, that was going to be my next question. I was actually intrigued by um, whether you actually set a time frame on how long you're going to be away for or was there a moment where you thought like you weren't going to come back and and then finally, I guess, the the when you realised that, you know, you, you, you felt that gratitude for, for the position that you that you have and that you wanted to to get back into the swing of things, was there parts of the business that needed to change for you to for for the for your role as the as the trainer to be I guess to make it more manageable? So when you came back, you you wouldn't necessarily burn out, or did you just come back refreshed and 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 just really wanted to train as many winners as possible? Um, yeah, a little little bit of both, I guess. Yeah. You, you, again, you you got to re- you just try and reinvent yourself and. To reinvent things all along. That's you. You sort of make uh, you make decisions on the jump with business, any business, because you've got to you've got to sort of uh, change with the times. And the times were changing a little bit as far as you know your owners' updates and media and and sort of that side of things. So it was getting pretty difficult at the at the, the with my bigger numbers to continue to you know just be on the phone all the time and and just keep those updates going. And and that side of things was always you know, a little bit tricky. So that was probably one of the bigger parts of it. Um, but there, look, racing stables are racing stables. You can't really change the dynamics of them too much if you want to be successful because they're, they are what they are. That's what we, we, we know what we sign up for. And if you, you want to try and you can't make them mechanical and you can't make them generic. You've got to, you've got to be thinking on your feet and you've got to have that mindset where you're working in an industry where it is easy to burn out it is easy to get very disappointed and, and down on yourself because there's that many ups and downs. You know, you can go to the races one day and train four winners and then the next day you get your ass absolutely kicked and you go home like a flogged dog. But, you know, it's what we sign up for. You've got to be tougher than that and you've, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to be able to handle that if you want to, you want to be in this position and, and take that position on. And I think in some regards, you know, the world turned into snowflakes a little bit, whereas, Everyone needs, uh, you know, I'm more for all fours, you know, help with mental illness and help with, you know, burnout and all that, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is we choose what we do in this job um, and we've got the ability to go do something else if we uh, if we can't cope with it. So, you know, in some regards, I just needed a bit of a slap around and, and just realise exactly, uh, you know, how much I, how lucky I actually was in the position I was in and, and how lucky I was to have such good support support from you know obviously mum and dad early on to get me uh in the original position but have the uh have the system that we had in place and and such good owners and i think that's once i sort of realized uh, well half knew it but uh, once i really realized that properly and i suppose you grow up a little bit you start to uh you start to realize how lucky you are instead of looking for uh little ways to escape and also just just how good you are at at your job as well i suppose that that is uh the final piece of the puzzle You've probably hit the nail on the head there because mm. a mate of mine said, mate, what else are you going to do? You'd be collecting trolleys at Kmart if you weren't doing this. So <laughs> well, was, I, reckon you'd, I reckon you'd be a fisherman, Adam. Like, I was, oh, I was, wow, I was saying on the podcast last week that um, on uh, when Tina Kutu won the Aquanita Stakes, I think, the, yes. that afternoon on your Facebook feed, that all, the, all there was was photos of uh, all the fish you caught that day rather than, <laughs> <laughs> rather than the yeah. horse winning the race. <laughs> we've got, we've got the team. 
Yeah, exactly. We got the screen hooked up on the uh, on the Boston Whaler. Don't worry. We watch the uh, we watch the races out in Exmouth Golf. We get pretty excited, me and a few mates and and uh, and Emma. So no, it was a it was a good result. But yeah, look, I think you got to balance it. You know, if you don't have your outlet, that's the biggest problem. And we'll probably uh, you know you you don't do it at the right times, and you've got to take those times off to to rejuvenate and take those times off properly. And that way, you know, if you've got those outlets and you you take your take your time off properly and and you know time managed properly, um, I think it makes your job a hell of a lot more enjoyable. And I think I think we've really got the recipe right. I think I had it three quarters right for for ten years, but we were fa- I was falling away in some probably really important aspects, um, which let it let me down. Um, whereas now I think I've got the balance really good. Um, and I think, uh, you know, going forward, I'm really enjoying it. And I have done for the last, uh, you know, two or three years. It's been, uh, been, been easier to manage, I, I really think so. Both of us here are experts when it comes to thoroughbred horse training, Adam. <laughs> experts from the sidelines. But can you – a lot of people that I speak to, a lot of trainers that I speak to, you know, like I, I'm always trying to pick their brains. What – what is it that makes a good good trainer, and what are some of the key elements to your craft? Like it just it's it's such a mystery to a lot of people who love the game. But to hear it firsthand from a trainer, especially from a, a champion trainer such as yourself, what are some of the things that the listeners can take away about what 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 it actually is to be a, a, a top thoroughbred horse trainer? Well, I think first off, you know, it's your your team behind you is so important. You've got to have a good team to start with, um, and they've got to be united. And work well together. Um, that's probably first and foremost. Um, but then, look, you've got to teach. You've got to be a teacher as well um, with your with your senior staff. You can't just, you know, play the play the training role yourself and not pass any of that on. And um, I think over the years, you know, I've, I've had had people come through that have worked for us, and you know, you can just tell the different people. And and I think I'm lucky enough to have it. And you've got to have that instinct where you know what each horse needs and it's not something that you have to go and sit down and think about for too long it's just an instinct and you know you look at a horse and you just know when it's ready and you can you know it's as I said instinct's probably the biggest thing on on training them you know don't over over complicate them they're an animal that want to be left alone most of the time and and basic you cover those bases of you know having them fit and uh and you know feed them well um you know your other little variables you cover along the way and I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of people make before they cover those first two bases of feeding your horse properly and getting it fit they start looking for other little one percent as they can fix before they've even got to the first two main main things that are going to uh going to give your horse their best chance those other little one percenters just get rolled along along the way and you, you incorporate them into your training but you know your fitness and and feeding them well um, just makes a huge difference, and obviously too they've got to be in a good, happy sort of environment that um, you know that they're you know they're rested and relaxed because they're no different to human athletes. If you you know if you incorporate your your training of a, of yourself as a as an athlete or a, or a, you know as a, any sort of sportsman, um, horses are very similar in some respects. 
Uh, before we let you go, Adam, and we've thoroughly appreciated your time, uh, we've spoke about the past, but we thought of it just have a quick chat about the future. Uh, what is in store and what's coming up for the Durant Stable? Um, I know we've seen a couple of other, a uh, couple of the, uh, well, Lindsay Smith in particular, set up base over east with your team always growing in size. And and um, recently we saw Money Matters and Massimo uh, sold at the English sales where they, they possibly could have been whacked over east type thing. Is that anything that the Durant Yard has ever looked at or anything you've ever considered? Well, not really. Um, it's not something that, you know, I, I, my ambition isn't really to go over there and win races. I, I've got no doubt if I had the right horses, you know, a good horse is a good horse anywhere, um, as long as you place it correctly. And I think, uh, you know, a trainer's probably the same and a good jockey if you get the right uh, get the right combination and get the right uh get the right opportunities well you you can uh you can compete anywhere and I'm, I'm more than comfortable to know that i could go over there with a with a nice team of horses and win races but um it's not really something that's really ever grabs me um no doubt if i had the right time type of horses for a bit of a hit and run mission um i would uh certainly go over there and do it but um that was the situation with massimo and money matters they were getting to the point where their rating was probably suited to melbourne where you've got mm a big space of different races. But for me to go over there to race in listed and, you know, group group three races, you know, there's not really much point of that. If I can sell a horse for what they're going to earn, um, I don't have to leave and I can go fishing instead of going to Melbourne and uh, and trying to race horses that I'm only going to break even with. So, um, no, look, as I say, if I got the right horse, I certainly wouldn't be frightened of uh, having a hit and run sort of mission. But long periods of time over there, I think... Uh, it's only going to affect your results at home, which uh, which is where we're uh, where we're sort of uh, concentrating. So, so when Come Play with Me won the the Metropolitan over in in Sydney for Chris Waller, was there a part of you that wishes that you were the trainer? Or I know that you probably owned or the family owned some of the horse or whatever. Was it? Is it mainly? Is it just all about? The, or is it? Was it mainly a business decision, Adam? I- I think the um, I think the million dollar prize money and um, <laughs> the fact that we own him took uh, took all of those pains away. The fact that I didn't train him, yeah. <laughs> the the check was uh, the check was coming to us. And look, I guess if uh, you got the drag training him, and it was only the first time of you know, I guess it's always raw, isn't it? Yeah, mm. you, you think you know what if, and I could have done that. But again, my ambition. Um, is just it's just not there to to go to Melbourne and I, I to be honest I don't like the place it's, it's really uh, I'd sooner be uh, sooner be out on my boat in Exmouth or uh, or something and uh, and doing something that I like than being in Melbourne um, I don't like the yeah I like my home and I like uh, I like my lifestyle here so I could never see myself um, really doing anything like that um, but as I said yeah, that party always thinks I would have been nice but. Chris did such a great job with the horse, and, and I certainly don't think I could have done a better job. So, what's the uh, what's the point? I think leave it to the uh, leave it to the experts. I, I say. Very good. So, <clears throat> just something you t- you mentioned before. I just need to give you a shout out because you produced a video with you and Durant Carter on your Facebook page, Durant Racing Facebook page, uh, where you gave the, us a bit of insight into um, training stage man towards the winter bottom stakes. Do you remember that last yep. year? That was. I, I, just I remember say, the winter bottom. I remember <laughs> yeah, the winter bottom I, losing I, on the punt pretty badly. <laughs> uh, yeah, <I> think, <laughs> Thanks I, for bringing it up. I think I was with you there. Um, Mate, that was 
Fantastic. And if you and other trainers or, you know, what, well, you can only really operate your own business, but from um, from an onlooker, I thought that was brilliant insight. Loved every minute of it. And if Durant Racing put out more videos like that, I think the industry would be better for it. Um, so I really appreciated that. And I wanted to thank you for that. But um, before we touch on this week's runners, I just want to say, is there any horses moving into the new racing season that uh really get you excited for for when we go back to ascot is there anything that we can keep an eye out for um i think quite a few of my young ones coming through i rate rate them very highly um they're they're at this stage i think there's a couple of state horses there um obviously they could be 12 months off seeing seeing that out of them they're very fragile they're only just turning three and we bought you know we bought them at the sales as big Big, strong sort of tights and, and leggy tights, so they're not they're not your you know your your, your jump and run tights. So they could uh, they could take a while, but yeah, look, there's some of those young ones that uh, I haven't got a list in front of me at this stage, but I think uh, baby blue jean, she's she's more than capable of going on and, and winning races. And I've got a filly that uh, that that I really like, um, horse called Sparkling Blue. She's she's a filly that's only had one trial so, so far, but she's showing plenty of potential. But there's a whole whole host of them uh, there that um, out of that two-year-old brigade that I think are going to be more than capable, um, you know, going into the you know the next twelve months to uh, to sort of fly the flag for the stable. And I think we'll do. Uh, I think we bought very well at uh, at the yearling sales last year, um, and I think we'll see, start to see some of the rewards for for that investment in the next twelve months. Is Stageman coming back for another crack at the winter bottom? I hope so. Bob hasn't called me with the truck. We picked a load up the other day, but he hasn't. Uh, stage man wasn't on there, but he did. Uh, he's given me a bit of a hint that uh, there's a few more to come in the next uh, in the next few weeks. So I'm hoping, uh, hoping that he's uh, he's on that ship. But uh, I don't ask him too many questions like that. He'll tell me when they're coming and what's coming. It's a it's a surprise and a bit of a lucky dip. <laughs> Sounds ominous for uh, for everybody else in uh, West Australian racing. Adam, we've kept you for far too long, but we'll quickly touch on the four runners you've got this weekend. A uh, pretty small team for you to be taking to the races compare, uh, comparative to recent times. Um, but we start in race one. Uh, the two-year-old, the front bar, ran into what could be a very smart one in It's a Ray Day. Uh, looks well placed. Pikey goes on for Clint. Is Clint uh, on holiday or suspended? Where's Clint? Uh, it's suspended at the moment. Suspended, okay. Uh, Pikey goes on for Clint. Looks a, a pretty, uh, pretty nice setup. Yeah, she she's a nice horse actually. She's she's come on from uh, from early doors. We didn't really have a big opinion of her, but look, on her last run, I'm not sure how that rated, but obviously the winner's a smart animal um, by the look of it. And she didn't give it away. She stuck to her guns even when it got past her. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, I think uh, I think she's a definite top three chance without getting carried away. She'd probably go to the go to the paddock after this run, but she's uh, she's not far off a win. And then race two, we got Snippy Miss. Now, do you do you believe in nonnies? Is nonnies something that you believe in racing horses? Don't know how to get their head in front. They they loom up and um, they don't have the will to, to pass that horse because Snippy Miss was obviously one of the state's biggest uh, nonnies after breaking her duck early uh, in her career. Has got another win uh, on the board since, but... Um, is it a thing? Is it a thing? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't believe it. People look into things like that a bit too far. I think it's just more uh, they bump into one better on the day. They're just an unlucky horse, or you could call it a lucky horse because they could be running fourth and fifth and just be no good. So, um, yeah, look, horses find uh, 
find find better horses on the day, and and unfortunately, uh, she just uh, she's been one of them. But you see them over the years, I guess. But no, they're uh, she's actually as genuine as you come. She lays her ears back and has a red hot go. There's no uh, there's no cat in her. She's a she's a trier. She's just uh, she's just restricted. That's all. Aggressive from the awkward gates on Saturday. Uh, I don't think I'll tell the bloke on top what to do. We'll just leave it. Uh, wizard, leave it there. There might be some pace in it. I don't know what he'll do. I don't bother. As soon as I try and be smart, there we we stuff it up. So I just uh, I just wish Willie luck. Uh, there was a couple of starts ago. She went to the front for Clint. That wasn't part of the, the pre race uh, the pre race tactics because that's uh, that turned no. out to be a uh, winning move. Obviously. Uh, Hundred percent. That's why I shut my mouth when the good ones are on. <laughs> you don't need to tell them. If I if I was in charge, I would have told Quint to go back. So there you go. Uh, race number four, Treasured Crown, yeah. taking on Bob's other runner, Zara Tight. That's a uh, an intriguing clash for uh, for the neutral. I'd suspect Treasured Crown um, uh, really uh, put it all together. In all fairness, Treasured Crown hadn't had a huge amount of luck uh, before stepping up to the staying trip over a couple of slowly run miles from Awkward Gates. Uh, can really go on with that. Can be a potential Perth Cup horse, but uh, as I said, does run into to Zara Tight on Saturday. Yeah, I think um, I think he's right up to the mark. Uh, gets him with fifty-five. His first two runs were absolute rippers. Um, his only disappointing run was third run in over a mile, which they crawled, uh, and he was posted, and nothing went uh, went to plan. So, I think uh, I think he's I think his runs have been really good. And the other day was very dominant. Um, probably he probably his lead ups don't quite rate as good as Zaratides. Um, when you look at the form around what. Uh, Beat Zaratide, naughty by nature, and the like. Um, and even last start, I think the filly that beat Zaratide is more than capable. Um, but it did beat him, and he had every chance to uh, to beat it. So he can be beaten, as we've seen last start. Um, but you'd think probably the step up to, step up in distance is probably more of a a far you know a tick in its box than against it. But you know we'll be doing our best, and we get three or four kilos weight weight sort of relief on it. And Chrissy Parner will be desperate to uh, to jag one over the wizard and give himself a better chance at that uh, Australian uh, Jockeys Premiership as well. Uh, and your final runner for the day is Brave Dream, another uh, another Bob Peters runner. Um, this bloke, uh, bloke, Mayor? 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 Philly. Uh, yeah, she's, um, she's, she likes to have some ability, but uh, may just be one of Bob's middle tier sort of runners. Yeah, I think the mayor's. I think Bob will tell you the same thing. The mayor's been a little bit disappointing. The brood mayor, she was a superstar and hasn't really produced a lot yet. But uh, look, she uh, she takes a few runs to hit a scratch this horse, and I think her last um, her last three runs show that she's well on her way. Um, she's just one of those get back sort of uh, ride for luck sort of types. And if she gets a split and hasn't done any work, um, she'll uh, she'll be really strong at the finish. I just don't know about the mile. Everything says that she will on pedigree, but um, so far what she's shown us in her races, she's one of those ones with a real short, sharp kick that just uh, needs needs your timing to be perfect. And who's your best on Saturday? Oh, look, I'd, I'd probably say uh, I'd, I couldn't split either of Bob's really. I think um, I think Treasured Crown they'll uh, they'll want to be right at their top to uh, to get hold of him on Saturday. He's going well, but yeah, I think him and Brave Dream are both. Uh, both really good chances. And Adam, who's driving the float to Kalgoorlie on Sunday? Uh, me and Jordan have got the job. Right. We're, uh, we're on the tool, so we're sneaking a broom for Kimberley Cup Day, so we've got to pay our dues <laughs> the week the week prior and cop a flogging. So 
we'll do that. And we've got, I think, 40 trialling on Monday. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do the grind <laughs> and, uh, and look forward to the weekend. So Durant Racing has been going to Albany, Geraldton, Kalgoorlie, have saddle, will travel. So is that going to be a feature of next racing season as well, Adam? We're going to be seeing Durant runners scattered across uh, the uh, outer provincial regions again? Yeah, I think so. It's good racing there, and um, we're in the process of getting another truck and and looking at um, at travelling. It's it's very good prize money, and you know you, you don't think much of it, but if you do it ten times, it all of a sudden starts to add up. So you can reinvest, and uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 a good way of uh, you know keeping uh, keeping money ticking over in the business. And I think Jordan's uh, Jordan's team will increase a little bit, and Robbie Gilberti's joining the team later in the year. He's coming down full time into Perth training and that, so I'll have a few. Uh, I'll f- have a few other donkeys that I can palm <laughs> off the trip, so I'll force them to go if they want to want a couple of yards. So I'll uh, I'll I'll definitely be doing uh, doing more trips like that with the right type of horse, and and hopefully, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can notch up uh, maybe 150 next year. It'd be nice. Excellent, Adam. It's been too long getting you uh, on the show on the one one. Terry and I really appreciated you giving up your time on a on a Thursday to to, to chat to us and uh, one of the one of the legends of WA racing. So thanks for giving up your time. Much appreciated. No, I appreciate it, mate. And, and yeah, just, just just quickly, just all to all my staff and and everything. It's certainly not a one uh, a one man band. It's um, I'm I'm in a very envious position where I've got Jason and Jordan and Mum and Dad and all my staff, and that. That's what makes the team. It's not just uh, one person. The the buck stops at me, and I'll make the final decisions. But without them uh, carrying the banner, you certainly uh, you certainly can't run a run a business as uh, as big as what we do without uh, without a hell of a lot of support. So I'm very grateful, and I appreciate that very much. And thanks uh, thanks for having me. Uh, extremely well said, Adam. We uh, we thoroughly appreciate your time, and uh, good luck uh, on the weekend, both at uh, at Belmont and in Kalgoorlie. Yeah, cheers, boys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Adam. Adam.